It is the LDS Life Podcast on Monday, May 4th, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. We have a lot going on in terms of the coronavirus. Usually I don't get too political on this. Well, that's not true. I've gotten political, but today we're going to get real political because, uh, well, I just think this coronavirus is important to talk about, all the hype and what's true, what's not. We had a doctor in Montana, Dr. Annie... Let me look up her last name, but let me just tell you what she did. She ratted out the CDC. She made sure that we all knew the shenanigans of the CDC, how they've been lying about the coronavirus. The director of statistics, Steve Swartz, encouraged people to basically put coronavirus as the main cause of death, even though it is the under cause of death or the underlying cause of death. By the way, it's Dr. Annie, and I do not know how to pronounce the last name. It's B-U-K-A-C-E-K. B is in baby, U is in uniform, K. A, C is in Charlie, E is in Echo, K. I think that's probably a Czechoslovakian that last name is what it sounds like to me. Anyway, she has had she had her internship at uh, the or the University of Oregon Health of Science. She also is on the legislative legislative committee, the medical legislative committee, head of the pro-life coalition of Montana. Also, she was voted as the best internal medicine doctor of Flathead County. Meanwhile, we've got Dr. Erickson and his partner in Bakersfield, California. They have been in the medical business for decades, questioning the coronavirus, Not maybe not so much the virus, but as well as the validity of social distancing. 39.4 million people in California have, uh, that is the population, 39.4 million, 7.4 million have had the virus. That also mean, and also according to the statistics, 1,227 people died of the coronavirus. That's 0.3%. Sweden and Norway have had similar numbers. If you add in their populations, even though Sweden was not on lockdown and Norway was. Meanwhile, we have Idaho was supposed to open on May 15th. It has now opened unofficially or started to open on May 1st. Ammon Bundy's been out there forming a coalition, a grassroots movement, whatever you want to call it. And Ammon, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I Sorry for the long entry. I just thought we needed to get this all out there. No, it's good. I think uh, the more we can talk about it, the better off we are. And uh, you know what? As long as we can talk about it, and as long as we're free to do so, uh, we'll do it. Now, uh, what made you, uh, let's just start, uh, you had a church service uh, in, on Easter Sunday. I actually happened to listen to the church service. How did that go? Because it was different than any other church service I had heard, let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was as well for me. Um, you know, kind of started out, not not necessarily the church service, but leading up to the church service, um, I had watched what uh, they were doing in California when it comes to the coronavirus, how they'd locked the state down. And this was before I was actually, um, or before Idaho was locked down. And I remember listening to a mayor in San Jose, California, along with the chief of police, and they had established, uh, you know, this lockdown order from the governor, and it was primarily on businesses at first. And so they 
and but businesses weren't closing and people weren't staying in. So they said that they were going to, uh, or they created a, a, a rat on your neighbor number, I guess, which is a three one one. I remember and, that. Uh, and uh, and then the sheriff got on in the media, uh, you know, on on camera, and he says. The day of the days of education are over, and now are the days of enforcement. And he goes, anybody who knows me knows how I'm going to enforce this. You better stay home. You better close your business. I mean, and I that just bothered me. It really, really bothered me about you know how uh, uh, men like this could get up, it's so bold and so blatant, and say that you will obey me or I will use force upon you, and we will do what we can to turn our community against each other. And so I vowed at that time, I actually vowed publicly that I would not uh, stand idle if this same thing came to Idaho. And so then it did. Uh, it wasn't very long. And Governor Little did the same thing here in Idaho, a uh, very similar uh, order. Um, and he put us under literally martial law under our code right now. It actually is 41601. It actually is titled martial law. And he gave himself power to, I guess, control everybody. And so I've been really active about making sure that people do not comply. Um, and uh, there's a, a reason for that. If we want, we can talk about that. And one of the things that I, I did is help a church group uh, facilitate and organize a, a church service on Easter Sunday. And it was a Pentecostal group, uh, which is not, you know, I'm not very familiar with the way that they worship, but boy, boy, do they got a lot of energy. Oh, that's, that, I think that's an understatement. It, it reminded me, uh, reminded me of a black preacher that you would see on TV. Have you heard of Bishop T.D. Jakes? No, I haven't. Bishop T.D. Jakes is a Pentecostal preacher. He owns the Potterhouse Mega Church in Dallas, Texas. It reminded me a lot of Bishop T.D. Jakes, one of those black preachers you'd see on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, uh, Diego Rodriguez, uh, just so you know, not that it matters, but we might as well bring it up. He's a uh, Hispanic, pretty good patriot too, I would think. Yeah, he, he is. He, he, you know, he was a Pentecostal preacher for 10 years in the uh, inner cities of Los Angeles. i and uh, he's moved here to Idaho nine years ago, and uh, he has a marketing company. He doesn't uh, preach in his own church anymore. Um, and uh, anyway, he, he's been a great patriot. He's been very involved in politics, helping you know the right people get elected. And and he does have a uh, you know a church affiliation, and it was them that that wanted to worship on Sunday, and so. I own a warehouse, and uh, I facilitated it and promoted it, and felt like it was a very, very good thing to do. How did uh, how did uh, you find out about Diego Rodriguez, or how did he find out about you? How did all this come about? Yeah, so uh, the way that that happened is is the the day after our governor uh, declared martial law upon on the people here. Um, and said that we were all supposed to stay in and that they were supposed to be, you know, we weren't supposed to leave our homes the day after that. And that we weren't supposed to have any public meetings or anything. The day after that, I had a public meeting at my warehouse 
and I invited as many people as I could across the state of Idaho or anybody else that wanted to come for that matter. And um, uh, Diego's family came. Diego was actually in Mexico. He does business in Mexico and so forth. He was down in Mexico. At the time, was actually kind of caught down there because of all flights and everything were kind of messed up. So he wasn't there for the first two meetings. Um, but I started meeting once a week and his family came and, uh, and then I was introduced to Diego, uh, after he got back in the United States. Um, and we kind of, you know, I just feel like he's a, a definitely someone who understands uh, freedom and, and, and that Christ was here to make us free. And, uh, that it's a, a gift that we're given and that we uh, should, should try to preserve that gift. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I looked at your uh, Facebook, I looked at one of your Facebook videos. This is a real grassroots movement here. This isn't just some guy uh, who owns an apple orchard in Idaho making noise. You've got a whole grassroots movement. By the way, just out uh We'll get into the, what you're doing here in a few minutes, but I tried to send a text to 801-230, I think is what it is, and my phone does not let me do it. For some reason, it doesn't let me text the word R-I-G-H-T because I think the way my iPhone is made, it only does the six-digit code, and then I can put in a word. I'm not sure. I don't know what you know about that or what, uh, but give out my, the number. Oh, what? Not my my iPhone uh, works. I haven't heard any trouble with it. You just, you know, put in 80123, like that is the number, like the phone number. You put in 80123, and then you text in rights, uh, R-I-G-H-T-S, rights, and it will respond back to you with a form that you fill out, and that um, gets you on, basically gets you on our contact list and uh, gets you acting in whatever area you're in. And we are in several states now, uh, actually getting quite strong more and more each day. We're adding, I don't know, now it's about 100 people a day uh, to our list that are actually committing to stand with their neighbor in the defense of rights. Well, uh, let me ask you this, because this is something that uh, I feel like I have to bring up. When you were occupying the federal building outside of Burns there, you had informants. Are you worried about informants coming and trying to antagonize you or anything like that? Are you worried about informants uh, joining your cause just to see if they could provoke you folks and turn you in or something? No, we, we, uh, we expect that and we welcome them. Um, we hope that uh, coming and associating with us with our meetings and seeing, you know, everything that's going on will will convert them to uh, seeing that we are good people from all different kind, all different faiths, all different backgrounds, all different educations. Um, I mean, anyone from a, a bell bondsman to a, a medical doctor, you know, are, are showing up and mothers, fathers, preachers, um, you know, uh, even, uh, even, uh, I mean, just all, all ranges of people are, are coming to our meeting. So I, I welcome them. I mean, they're people too. They, they have the light of Christ in them. If, if they'll listen and understand, they'll know what truth is. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you this, since we're on the informants, I know that there were informants there in uh, just outside of Burns at the Malheur Refuge. 
Do you think any of the informants actually changed their mind? I know that there were those like Mama Bear and a whole bunch of people that testified against you in court, but do you think that there were any informants in uh, outside of Burns there where you were who did change their mind and did not rat on you, or, or do you know? Well, I, I don't know that, but I do know that um, even the first government witness uh, that was an informant at the um, refuge uh, got on the stand and testified in front of the jury that we were good, honest people. And that, um, and there, and his testimony was very beneficial to us. And then also one at the end of our trial in Oregon, there was an informant called uh, by the name of, uh, oh, I can't remember. I should remember his last, his last alias name was Kilman. Uh, interesting enough. Uh, and I, I should remember his first, first alias name, but his last alias name that he was using was uh, Kilman. And uh, sounds like a Gestapo agent. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, when I work for the FBI, sometimes you wonder, right? So, I mean, and he was, he, that was his name. And anyway, uh, we, we got him on the stand and we were able to show uh, through, you know, the different uh, documents and evidence and videos how he was instigating the people or trying to instigate the people at the refuge, but those at the refuge uh, were kind of pushing off his uh, enticing uh, uh, activities. And, but it showed that, you know, here you got an FBI informant who was hired by the FBI to go in there and instigate and try to get us to act differently than we would and, you know, peacefully and all of that. And, uh, and then you get him in trial and the jury was just kind of disgusted about, you know, like who was really the instigators here because everything showed that we were being peaceful and that we were standing for a right cause. And they were just trying to basically get us to act in a way that people would reject so that they can ultimately uh, either prosecute us or, or kill us. So when he was on the stand, he mentioned that he tried to provoke you and you folks didn't and the jury saw through that. We had video of him doing it. Okay. I, I do want to ask one more question about that and then we'll get back into what's happening now. I actually have a great uncle who, interestingly enough, was my mission president in Nova Scotia years and years ago. And I saw him at my great aunt's funeral back in 2017 and my great uncle's son was friends with someone at the FBI in Oregon and he said that when he went to the Malheur Refuge it was very trashy was that trash because I know that you were very clean I've heard this from multiple accounts I've heard this from people that know you personally were, was it was this the informants that were just trashing the Malheur Refuge probably no what happened again, this was another, it was very ironic and almost comical in the, in the trial because they tried to, the prosecutors tried to, uh, you know, convey the message or get, you know, show that we left this refuge in just disarray and, and we destroyed it and all of that. And then, but the problem is, is we had pictures and video of the refuge uh when we left and it was in good order 
And what happened is when the FBI came in there and the HRT team and the, and they also had a bomb, um, uh, special bomb units, right? They trashed the place. They took every drawer out, dumped it on the ground, any, any, you know, uh, anything that, and they just literally trashed the entire place, broke, even broke doors, uh, like, like, you know, entrance doors, uh, broke, uh, furniture and, and just scattered everything everywhere doing, I guess their investigation or I don't know, whatever they were doing. And then they tried to blame that on us. And that still has been the narrative a lot. Um, to people because we, we were improving that we were doing improvements on the refuge. We were, you know, part of an adverse possession claim is that you have to do improvements and, and beneficially, you know, use it. So that's obviously legally what we were trying to do. And we've got video of all of that. And we, and so really that again, backfired really disgusted the jury because they can see here now that the prosecutors were intentionally lying to the jury to try to get them to dislike us for something that the FBI had done. Now, when they trashed the building, did they take video and try to say to the jury, look, look at what Ammon and his crowd did, or That's how did exactly that happen? what they tried to do, yep. Okay. They, well, yeah, let's get pictures and videos of, of that after they had trashed it and then said that we did it. And wow. we, are, we had video, we didn't, we didn't intentionally take video of it, but we had, you know, everybody's taking videos these days. So we had video of when right before we left and right before everybody else left later and um and the place was in a great a great condition and so we just could easily show okay look this for sure is this on this day at this time and okay this was at this time they at this time this was after the fbi and they admitted they had to finally admit you know because for example we we get the witness on the stand and we say okay, do you see this bag? And they say, yeah. And whose bag is this? And they'll say, that was so-and-so. And then say, was this bag open or closed when, before you guys came? And they're like, well, it was closed. And so all this stuff on the ground and everything scattered over, did you guys put that there? Yeah, we put that there. Why did you do that? Well, we went through the bag looking for evidence. And, and then you didn't put it back, right? And they're like, no. And that's what we just kept doing over and over for each room in the, in the refuge until the jury finally got that it wasn't us that made the mess. Wow. Well, hopefully something like that does not happen here. Uh, now, I want to go back to your church service that uh, you had or you helped facilitate with Diego Rodriguez. Um, if it was that big of a deal, according to the Idaho state government, if it was that big of a deal that you were having a church service under lockdown, why did the police not come out? If it well, was think, that big of a deal. I think that's a, a very telling. I think that's the very reason why everybody should open, open up their businesses right now and go back to work because it's not even big enough. You know, they're, they're not even either sure enough about their position on this whole thing, or it's not even that important enough, meaning for safety reasons, right. For them to enforce anything that's been going on. We, you know, and so it's not a big concern. For example, I, I just had a, a sheriff deputy, uh, two of them come to my house today. We asked them to, because I lost a dog, another story, but, um, you know, come, he comes in and I asked him if he shake his hands. He says, absolutely. And he shook my hand. And, uh, I mean, the, it, nothing is adding up to the narrative that we're being told. 
Yeah, and let's talk about the police. Uh, somebody got arrested, a woman got arrested, what, about a week and a half ago in Meridian, in Meridian, Idaho, just outside of Boise. And you went to go talk to the police, and I, I watched as much as the video as I could. Obviously, I'm blind, but I'm just going to use the word watch because we all do. And uh, I heard what I could. It sounds like, uh, fill me in here because I'm a little confused. It sounds like you and a few friends or whatever who were at the police officer's home made some headway. And it sounds like the police officer was agreeing with you. In fact, I even heard him say, I'm just as frustrated as you are. How did that encounter go? Well, so we felt like, so first of all, we were already meeting. And we found out that they had arrested this mother at the park, right? Yeah, because she uh, was, I think, because what, her, her special ed kid was playing with some other people and they were not social distancing, correct? Well, and I don't think they were, you know, the, the park was supposed to be closed and all of that. Okay. Um, so anyhow, they, they ended up re arresting her and we were already meeting. Uh, we were having that weekly meeting we had, we we're having, and we were planning on serving the governor and the director of health and welfare in Idaho uh, with petitions for redress of grievance. So then what we, we decided is we would also go and serve the uh, arresting officer that arrested this lady, this mother at, at the park, that we would also serve him with a, with a petition for redress of grievance. And so we went to the governor's house and then we went to the director of health and welfare in Idaho's house. And then we went and there was, uh, I don't know, there was over a hundred of us. And then we went to the sheriff's house and different than the governor and different than the, or not sheriff, the, the police, city police uh, house and different than the governor and different than the director, there was police surrounding his home. And so we come up and we're talking to them and we're being, you know, cordial and, you know, people's filming it. And uh, I didn't say a whole lot for a little bit. And then I began to talk and ultimately I said, well, how are we going to, you know, if you're not going to let us come up to the house, then how are we going to serve this? And at first the, the, uh, the sergeant was like, well, you're not coming up to the house uh, back. I, I'm probably going to push you guys across the street. And I said, I ultimately just made it clear to him that he doesn't make the rules here, that we have a, a, a constitutional right. I mean, it's in the constitution. We have a right to petition our government for redress of grievance. And I said, so how do you expect us to serve him with this petition? Because that's what is required. And ultimately, after quite a bit of discussion back and forth, um, we did feel that they did support us in this. And they offered to serve the officer themselves. And so they took the documentation and went to his home while we were watching and he, they served, they served him with our petition for redress of grievance and we thanked him and then went, went home. Did, did uh, the officer who did this arrest, did he end up agreeing with you? Cause it, it sounded like, like I said, you made some good headway. Well, the officer that made the arrest was, we never did, talk to him oh okay it was, his, it was his sergeant that we talked to um oh okay and uh, he his sergeant was the one that actually um served the other officer with our petition okay 
Now, let's go to the rally on Saturday. I'd like, maybe oh. if I could, I, maybe I could bring, because, you know, uh, there was a, the community was kind of split on, you know, after we did that, if, oh, you know, why did, you know, why did you go to his house and all that? And I, I just wanted your listeners to understand, you know, why we would do that. And, and the main reason was, is because, you know, we have great evidence and we see that there really is no, very little, almost no accountability uh, when it comes to a bad actor in the police forces, when, when they arrest somebody or use uh, unnecessary force or escalate, there is no um, accountability to basically stop that type of stuff. And in fact, in most cases, they're actually disciplined if they don't act that way. And so for us to go to this, you know, go to the police department and protest there or, you know, uh, try to get the, um, you know, the uh, chief of police to do anything with that, that, you know, none of that ever works. And so we felt like that, and we we're going to continue to do this, that we are going to hold those people that actually are acting uh, as bad actors, we're going to hold them accountable uh, and do things like go to their homes, go to their churches, go to their, you know, uh, pass, pass flyers out to their, uh, to their uh, neighbors, uh, really telling and helping people understand what these people are doing with their time as officers uh, in, in government. And it is just an effort to bring accountability. Now, how did you find out that the police officer who arrested this woman, how did you find out his sergeant was at the governor's mansion or wherever it was that you were at? The governor's house. The sergeant was at his house, actually. Oh, so you went there after you talked to the and governor. We went to the governor's house, and then we went to the officer. Okay. House. Okay. The sergeant was at the officer's house. Speaking of uh, Governor Brad Little, I understand that Diego Rodriguez put together a plan where you're where people are to write the governor every single day for a hundred days the same letter and email fax and snail mail how's that going i think quite well they they've also put together a campaign uh called uh, governor little or uh, brad little is a disgrace and they've also getting a book and and why they're saying he's a disgrace because he's uh destroying basically people's lives uh, they've also got a, a book that they're printing the first, the first uh, edition. And I think it's, you know, 120, 130 pages or so. And it's stories of people that have already lost their business or how they're affected by Brad Little's decision. And they're going to ship it to him every day. They're going to get, send him a book every day and send his family members and send his, you know, his don't, uh, his donors or campaign donors. Uh, and that's, that's what, uh, that's what they're going to do. And I, and I applaud it. I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Now I know that Idaho has opened up slightly. Restaurants are opened. I'm not sure what the criteria is. I don't think they're at full capacity. Um, I know that other retail business are open. What's the status on that? And do you think that you have had any say in this matter? I know it's not open um, all the way yet, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, I, well, again, I, uh, I, I think 
Senator Thane said it best. And he said, when the governor tells you that you can do something that normally you have, or that you have a right to do, and he tells you you can do it if you obey him, he goes, that offends me. Yeah. Now, Senator Thane, was, is he a state senator or a senator back in D.C.? I assume he's, he's a state the... senator and okay. he's actually a, 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 boy, a boyhood friend of Governor Little. They grew up in the same town. They went to high school. They graduated the same year. They've been in politics for many, many years together. And, uh, you know, uh, he's Governor Little is not being, you know, very appreciated right now by a majority of the legislatures. Yeah, in fact, I heard uh, on your, I think it was somebody's Facebook page who was on, who was there at the church service and all that the legislatures are accountable. Are they going to meet and form an emergency session? Because this can't go on for too long without the legislatures meeting. We're hoping that they do. Uh, we don't know yet. Uh, and we're hopeful that they do. Um, um, again, but we don't know. We haven't heard one way or the other. Now, what's, okay, so I know, explain to me and the rest of the audience, if you can, what's happening. I know Idaho is now partially opened in phase one, where I understand the restaurants can be open, the bars, casinos, whatever. Uh, I don't think, though, that they can, A, be full to full capacity, and I think there has to be some social distancing. Do you know all the logistics behind that? No, other than the if, you know, I know when I listened to the governor's um, press conference, when he, you know, basically said that we're going into phase one and I did review a little bit of it, but he best kept saying that if, if, if you don't comply, then, you know, then we will have to go back to the full order. And if you don't comply, then we won't go to level two. And uh, that was enough for me to know, you know, that this is because the issue here is not so much about the virus. It's not even so much about the order. What is, the issue is here is that, that what is being established, what is becoming precedent is who has the right to control your businesses, your life, your churches, um, that is the issue here. Your, you know, um, your travel. That is what is being questioned right now. Uh, government officials are saying that is our right, um, and the people are primarily being silent about it. That's why it's so important that we have church services, that we open up our businesses in full capacity, that we begin to travel more and, you know, and 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 trade. That's important that we do it. It's just an. It's just to establish that these rights belong to us and not to uh, the governor. And, uh, you know, I understand most people, you know, probably haven't thought much about it, about the natural law of what is happening. But um, if you allow someone to claim your rights, then you lose them. Yeah. How do your, has any of your siblings, your parents or anyone come up to join you in these protests and the rally and things like that? Uh, no, you know, I, I, there's been a, you know, a great local movement here, I guess, if you want uh, to say that. And, you know, I, I had hoped and I see that things are kind of moving in 
other states as well. And so my family's just been uh, li- lifting where they, where they, where they live. Okay. And I assume that your wife and children are supportive. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Now um, let's talk about the rally on Saturday. What happened? How did the rally go and uh, what came out of it? And do you think because of your actions, Governor Little is going to change his mind and open and uh, continue well, opening the state? What do you think? Uh, how is I, the rally? I, it, it's not. It doesn't. It's not Governor Little's authority to open it up. It's the people's. And what's happening now is our, the rally was actually called "Idaho is Open for Business." It was. It wasn't a, a rally or a plea. It was a statement. And uh, hundreds of people have now opened up their business in full capacity, whether they're essential or non-essential, uh, and they will continue to to open up. And if they're given any trouble, uh, we have a very you know active uh, group of people that are willing to surround that business owner, uh, provide uh, you know even income and be customers to him, and provide legal, uh, political, and physical defense. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say about what's happening? Um, oh, let's just, how many businesses came to your, uh, Idaho is open for business. Um, uh, I don't know other than, you know, how many exactly, but there was, you know, uh, over 2000 people that was, that attended. Wow. So you could probably buy just about anything there from food to, uh, necklaces, jewelry, I suspect. I didn't even wander around much. I just, you know, the main thing was, is that they were, you know, that they were there to basically make a statement that we're open for business and, okay. uh, and celebrating that. And, and so, you know, any, like, again, the whole, the whole problem with all of this is that, uh, government officials, either by intent or maybe they're just unintentionally confused. Uh, but they are literally saying that you, the people, um, belong to us and uh, rather than the other way around. And that therefore, when we say that you stay in your home, uh, just as a, as a parent will say to a child, when we, when we say you stay in your house, then you had better do it. Um, and when we say you close your business uh, until we tell you to, you had better do it. And when we tell you you can't travel or can't, you know, uh, meet or you can't trade, uh, you then you better do it. And that is a very scary thing to go into. And one leads, and it only leads to one thing, and that is bloodshed. Dad. Yeah. What do you think the uh, made Brad Little lock the state down? I, I didn't think that he would. I didn't either. I was very surprised. But what he has been doing is he's been just uh, pretty much following what the uh, Washington governor uh, does and uh, Ensley, and uh, he just does it. I don't know what the connection there is, but as soon as Washington does something, we can expect that it happens in Idaho. And you know, and I know that that's kind of been the same thing all over. I will say this though, and this is a this is a, a fact. Uh, in order, you know, as soon as uh, President Trump 
said that, hey, we've got 50 billion, I think is what he said at first, dollars for emergency funding. Then all of a sudden the state started, uh, you know, trying to get jockey for that money. But in order to get it, they had to declare their state, uh, you know, um, an emergency, state of emergency. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Little was one that jumped on that bandwagon. And then President Trump says, oh, now we got $2 trillion uh, that um, we've made available. Uh, but there was even more, uh, um, there was even uh, more restrictions that come along with that. And so then the states uh, declared them an extreme uh, state of emergency. And, and uh, you know, Governor Little right off the bat received $1.25 billion uh, handed over to the Department of Health and Welfare here. And then has since then received hundreds of millions of dollars extra. Um, and, and, but, and so in order to get that money though, he had to basically declare us an emer extreme state of emergency, even though we weren't. We've had like 22 or 23 people that have died here or something like that. And when he declared it a state of emergency, we had one person that, that had died from, from the virus. And if, if it was reported correctly. Yeah, if it was reported correctly. Again, I did mention that Corona doesn't have to be the underlying, the underlying causing death, more specifically COVID-19. How do you think President Trump has handled this whole issue? I think that he should have stuck with his instinct and stood, stood true on that. I believe that his instinct was, instinct was right when he was calling, you know, it basically what it, what it has shown to be. Uh, but he allowed himself to get influenced by these bureaucratic medical advisors that he had. And, uh, and I also believe that he has caused most of the trouble, even though, you know, I do have partial uh, support to President Trump, but I think he has caused most of his trouble by making all those funds available to everybody. Uh, you know, hospitals get an extra thirteen thousand dollars if they admit a patient in as COVID as a COVID patient. They also get another thirty-eight or thirty-nine thousand dollars if they put them on a ventilator. Um, you know, uh, um, the cities, the states are getting billions, millions, and billions of dollars. Uh, and in order to get that, they had to declare their state a state of emergency and follow certain guidelines that are outlined by the, you know, the World Health Organization. And if he wouldn't have off, you know, put that money out there, uh, this entire thing would have looked completely different. Yeah, I agree. And it'll be, what's your prediction of what's happening next throughout the country? And what, oh, before I go there. Uh, I just want to run something by. Do you remember the swine flu of 2010? I do. Okay. I This is back when I was an ardent Glenn Beck fan. Glenn Beck was predicting that the government would someday, and he may have even, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was basically saying someday the government would predict, uh, or the government would have a pandemic or label something as a pandemic, and businesses throughout the country and other places would be shut down. Did you predict such a thing would happen in 2010? Did I predict that? 
Yes. Did, did you, yeah, were you predicting that in your mind or did you see that coming? Well, I didn't, to be honest with you, I did not see it uh, medical being the excuse, you know, the nation's health being the excuse. But I have to admit, it has worked perfectly. I mean, people that normally would never give up their everyday freedoms have just given them up because it's a medical uh, excuse or a, or a health excuse. And so when, in trying to understand this more, I began to do some research and I found, you know, very uh, chilling comparisons uh, when it comes to uh, justifying certain action against people because of met, uh, the nation's health. I've, you know, found some chilling comparisons of, of what the Nazis did to the uh, Jews, the blacks, uh, and the handicapped people, and homosexuals, and the gypsies, and uh, they, um, they, you know, for for health reasons, they actually, and basically somehow declared that genetically the Jews and the others were they had a, a DNA issue or or a genetic issue that would, if it was allowed to continue uh, through reproduction would um would actually be detrimental to the to their to their nation so they did uh, by law they passed a forced sterilization program where they were sterilizing the jews and blacks and and uh homosexuals although it's not too much of a problem there right and then the yeah. uh and then the uh, gypsies and uh, that sterile that I mean, it was passed so basically they were not allowed to you know or at least they could not they had to be sterilized and they could not, you know, uh, have children. And then that program, that same program evolved into uh, euthanization. First, they euthanized the handicapped. And then ultimately, as we know, they euthanized uh, millions of, of Jews and uh, black, uh, you know, and also additionally blacks and, and, uh, and gypsies. And so, um, you know, take it for what it's worth. This health uh, issue or, or the nation, nation, nation's health can be a very powerful thing to infringe upon, you know, individuals' lives and ultimately become the excuse to take life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not saying it'll happen, but it could. In fact, uh, somebody said, I don't know who said it, but I heard that somebody said um, a communist in America once said something to the effect of try to do something dramatic, rather be, you know, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but try to do something dramatic. And if you get pushback, then stop. But if you get mush, press ahead. Have you heard some, a quote like that before? Because we are yeah. certainly getting mush right now. Yeah. And that, that's, that's why the American people are, doomed if they don't stand up to this and let me give you a little bit of like a real life uh scenario here so uh my foot or my son's football coach uh contacted i actually actually have two sons that are now in high school so they'll be under the same coach and um he contacted uh and said that we're going to try to uh begin practice because um, they practice all through the summer, on May 18th. Uh, and, um, and he says, 
but you have to have a you have to have been tested for you know for COVID nineteen. Well, so wait a minute here. Um, so my son can't play football if he's not tested, and and that's the mandate right now. Obviously, that doesn't make any sense because he could be tested and not have the virus, and then literally just a few minutes later come into contact that someone does later and show up to football practice the next day or and within a couple days and he would you know have it so none of that none of it makes sense right but yeah that's what they're going to do and it also you know i think it's very clear they're already talking especially washington right now and many other states are talking about um back force vaccination and contact tracing through technology um, and, and just think about the ramifications of that. I mean, basically, I mean, contact tracing so that they somehow they're able to, uh, to track who you've been in contact with. Um, think about the, how that infringes upon our rights and what, and how that could be abused, um, adversely towards towards people i mean it's just you just we do not want to go there we cannot allow allow this to happen and also what is this mandates just like uh little he says you can go back to work now uh if you've all been tested uh insley in washington is you can go back to work now if you've been tested or every family is going to have every every person is going to have to be tested and if you are positive, then we are going to put you in these um, these uh, uh, quarantine uh, uh, places. They're basically they're hotels. I think they are actually hotels in in Washington for fourteen days. What happened to what happened to freedom? <laughs> what happened yeah, exactly. to what happened to the Bill of Rights? Yeah. Well, what, where do we go from, what do you think the future holds here? Uh, do you think we're going to get over this? Do you think uh, this, the restrictions will be loosened, but the new social norms, where do, where, what does the future hold for this? Well, I know, you know, I can't, I can't uh, predict or I can't um, control anybody else, nor do I want to. But what I can do is tell you what we're doing here in Idaho and other states across the the union are doing um, and, and we are uniting, basically finding those who uh, are like-minded and willing to commit to defending each other. And I am certain that, uh, you know, as more and more people join and join together, um, we will, and we continue to unite them that uh, we at some point will just say, hey, you know, if it comes down to a forced vaccination or some type, type of technology, technological tracking, we will say no. Uh, nope, you, that's the line in the sand, no. And when, when they come try to enforce it upon us, we will use, uh, you know, legal, political, and physical defense uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. And that's, it's just that simple. At this point, you just can't. You can't comply and you can't take the risk of, of setting a precedent of, some, uh, of the taking of rights. And you also must not um, 
it is your duty not to pass this on to the next generation. Now, let me make this really clear. You are not encouraging violence at all. I just want to make this real clear. But no, we're trying to prevent it. And we must do everything that we can. And your listeners, if they're primarily at LDS, uh, go to Doctrine and Covenants 98, read the second half of it. Well, read the whole thing. Um, it, it establishes what the Lord requires us to go through before he will justify us defending ourselves and using violence. Um, and that is what we must do. That is what we always must do. And as he says in the scriptures, that is what he's required people like Abraham and Nephi, uh, to do before, uh, before they were justified in using violence. Yeah. So in other words, do everything first. Yeah. Um, and then be on the offense if you have to. Yeah. So we've been. Well, the defense. Defense, um, yeah, been, defense. Yeah, we've been, uh, you know, we we have a petition for redress of grievance that we've done. We've been working with the legislatures. They've been playing, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, uh, redress for in, in those methods. We have uh, written letters to all the legislatures. We have written letters to all the sheriffs. We have met together. We have done, you know, uh, 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 we have... Uh, assembled and and uh, protested we have we have rallies i mean we will exhaust every measure we can um and and do it as effective as we can so we're not just checking off a box right but what we ultimately will not do is allow uh basically our our liberties uh, which is our you know the right to control our bodies uh, the right to free speech, the right to have have a conscience and to be able to act upon that conscience, um, the right to uh, you know to trade with each other, the right to travel, the right to possess and, and hold and enjoy property. We we cannot allow those to be something that are are taken from us. We must not. Um, and. Uh, and so that is the, that is the line in the sand, and and uh, that is what we're trying to do. Yeah. By the way, since uh, yeah, this is an LDS podcast, I have to ask you: What do you think? Were you surprised when the church said no more services until further notice? Basically, throughout the whole world, I was shocked. I thought that was a bold move. What was your take? Yeah, I I was, and I uh, I've been, I've enjoyed you know church at home and all that. Uh, still I have too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's been wonderful, but but um, uh, but on the same hand, I was surprised, and I want to want to believe that maybe partial part of the reason for that is is because. Uh, they understood that there was going to be these orders in place and maybe they decided just to do it themselves rather than be ordered to do it. I don't know. That might be something that's incorrect, but you know, they certainly did do it and uh, they did it in their, on their own, in their own way uh, by their own choice. And, um, and uh, you know, I guess those are better circumstances than, than being forced to do it. I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, anyway, that, that's kind of my thoughts, but yes, I was actually 
you know, a little bit surprised, especially at the time uh, that they they did that. Well, in the church's defense, uh, they do have a home study program, which they implemented January 1st, 2019. And of course, it was talked about in general conference in October of 2018, the Come Follow Me curriculum. So I think, you know, if we really want to get down to it, the prophet, President Nelson, and the Lord knew what was going on. And I, I know that this home study curriculum was being talked about clear back as far as 1993, because I talked to some people that were in the know about this whole thing. But I think President Nelson and others knew something we didn't, don't you think? Well, it it does appear to be the, 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 the fact in fact, you know, one thing I, I will say and maybe add to that is, is you know, it, fundamentally, you know, it has always been our duty as parents and, and as a family to, you know, educate our children and, and help educate each other on, you know, even the even the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, you know, that now is happening, uh, at least for those who are actually doing it. I know like our when we have sacrament in our home, I mean, you know, we have a lesson and, and, you know, my, my boys participate in the sacrament, prepare it, bless it, pass it. Oh, it couldn't be, it couldn't be any better really. And so I do feel like we've had good examples of how to, uh, you know, kind of conduct that. And, and then, but when now we're at home meeting and, and it just up to me, it couldn't be any more effective and, and any more better. I, I enjoy it. I love it. And the, the same thing yeah. goes with, you know, with school, with education, academics. I mean, it is the parents responsibility to teach the children, uh, teach their children, including academics. Um, and so if public school never went back into, into, uh, uh, session, I guess, if you will. I don't know. I would be just fine with that too. Uh, even though my children kind of on and off, we kind of have a hybrid where we do some homeschool and, and some public school and my kids like to play sports and stuff. Uh, but if, if public school never opens back up, well, guess what? We'll be just fine. We'll teach our children, you know, uh, how to prepare for life and academics and we'll move right along. Well, I want to ask you uh, two more questions before we go. Oh, by the way, stay with me as soon as this podcast is over. I want to ask you something off the podcast. But uh, in the last podcast that you were on with me, you predicted that constitutional tribes would occur. And you also said primarily throughout the Intermountain West, meaning Idaho, Utah, Nevada. I don't know what other states you were referring to, but what about States like Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, where there's a huge, strong Christian, even Baptist population. Do you think that they will participate in these constitutional tribes? Maybe not the state governments, but the people there. Yeah, it'll be the people. It won't be Yeah, the government. But, but do you think it'll be in other states? Other than, From what I understand, you're, you're thinking primarily – the Intermountain West, but do you think that there? Do you think people in Arkansas and Texas and Nebraska will participate as well? I think, or I think they'll have to. You know, certain people have to flee and join the West, but 
I do see wherever there's, you know, a people that insist on being free, that that is, that is what will have to happen. It's not, it is just simply what will have to happen because uh, if people do not, uh, you know, comply, um, then they will be, you know, persecuted, isolated, uh, incarcerated, you know, even, uh, even killed. Um, and to the point where they will have to, you know, have these basically where they reserve from the system that has become so corrupted and they begin to defend themselves, um, uh, in, you know, as neighbors and so forth. So that's, that's what will happen. I'm certain. What now? When you say people will flee to the west, what states are you referring to specifically besides Idaho and Utah? Well, I it depends on where you know. When people, for example, you know, there's all throughout the scriptures, and primarily it's evident in the Book of Mormon, uh, but it's it's all all throughout the scriptures. And when when there is something that is going on where people are oppressed, um, there's one of three things that the Lord asks them to do. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily could, could, you know, it could be one or one or the other, or, you know, it could be one for a little while and then the other, but he'll, he'll ask us to either flee. Uh, he'll ask us to fight or he'll ask us to accept it for a little while. Um, and, and so when I, when you asked me that question, I think it, it depends on, you know, basically, you know, where, where people are being asked, where there's basically this kind of, this protection of rights, uh, and that people will all um, automatically come to wherever that is, because, uh, for example, if there is a place here in Idaho or in Utah where, uh, people are actually defending rights and can be free, and other places in the country and in the world, they can't, they will immediately, people will be immediately drawn to this, drawn to that area. They will try to flee from wherever they're at if they can get out and come, come to those areas. And, it'll, and it's simply because of defense, because the, the defense of rights uh, is prevalent there and so that people can be free and uh, prosper and trade and live and travel and all of that within you know within reasonable area that is being defended and uh that's always been the case so it's not like i'm you know being really prophetic or anything it is it's just the way it has always been that's why people flee to the united states that's why people want to come here um they're looking for uh that freedom to be able to raise their families how they choose you know, to be able to prosper uh, and pro and to be able to prosper comes because people are be able to freely trade with each other. Anyway, I hope hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I just want to ask you real quick: What do you think will happen to places like Texas, though, where you've got a lot of freedom fighters there? You think that they will weather the storm and have their own what you call constitutional tribe over there, or what? I really don't know. I, you know, it is a little bit telling about what is happening right now of how many people truly are willing to uh, not only just stand for like freedom, but even, even understand when it's being taken, 
that's what's been, you know, most alarming to me is that people will argue with you that nothing is wrong right now, um, that this is all warranted and that, uh, that it's all just, you know, all just uh, going to go away here in a little bit. And uh, I could be, I could assure you that this, it, you know, that this will never go away. Life will never be like it used to be. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, and in some ways, I think that's good, and in some ways, that's bad. Now, uh, to the last question, do you think that we are starting to see the beginning of these constitutional tribes uh, forming based on things that you have been involved in within the past month or so? Um, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. People are, like I said, we have, just so you know, uh, we're organized right now. Uh, we're organized, and what I mean organized, meaning we have states broke up into areas and people in each one of those areas uniting in uh, to be able to legally, physically, and politically defend themselves. Uh, and we're organized now in, um, of course, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, uh, Montana, Nevada, Utah, Florida, and Kansas. Wow. That's good. All right. Anything else you want to add before uh, we take off here? Nope. I sure appreciate your time. Absolutely. We will talk to you next week, folks.